Hey guys, Kevin Up the Grove from Five Minutes of Rum here. Before we start the show proper, I want to mention that I recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, and in the ensuing uh, two weeks, I sent an email out to Brian Davis of Lost Spirits when I heard that they may have been out of their current inventory of rums, and he did in fact confirm that the rum in this episode, the Polynesian-inspired uh, Lost Spirits rum, is no longer available. So if you see a bottle on the shelves, I would say go ahead and buy it, because uh, you're not going to find any more of it. He did express uh, that they are working on some newer versions of their rums, and there's more to come. But if you do see this rum in the wild, I would say go ahead and buy a bottle because it is no longer. Um, and as far as a substitute for the rum in this or for the uh, rum in this episode's cocktail, um, I'm going to go ahead and see if it works with the uh, Smith and Cross. I haven't tried it yet, but that's going to be my recommendation until I hear otherwise. And now let's get to the show proper. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode 44 of 5 Minutes of Rum, notes on rum a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. In this episode, I'm revisiting Lost Spirits, and this time uh, taking a look at their Polynesian-inspired rum. I'll also have a look at Pim's number one and riff on the popular Pim's Cup recipe using what else? Rum. Uh, it's another summer inspiration episode, but you know, uh, just for the record, you can really enjoy your favorite cocktail at any time. It doesn't have to be seasonal. In fact, a few days ago, it was quote-unquote National Mai Tai Day. And so I'm fond of telling people, if you try really, really hard, you can make any day National Mai Tai Day. And on that note, let's go to the actual show. Now, you already may be familiar with Lost Spirits. Um, in fact, if you listen to episode 37 of this here show, you heard me talk about Lost Spirits and their Cuban-inspired 151 rum. Um, as a quick recap, they are a distillery located on the central California coast, and they are experimenting with the approach to production of spirits and uh, a lot of applied chemistry. Uh, you can seriously nerd out on the chemistry angle, in fact, when you research their rums. A couple of months ago, they published a paper discussing their approach to producing characteristics of spirits that have been in the barrel for 20 years, but doing that in just six days uh, by way of chemistry. So personally, I think they're great for trying out new and interesting things, not to mention that the uh, the, the co-conspirators of Lost Spirits, Brian and Joanne, are very nice folks that are more than happy to spend their time discussing the work that they're doing, whether you're a big, big distributor or just a uh, small-time podcaster, and and I appreciate them for that. Um, it's also, also worth noting that on their website, it says that as of April 24, 2015, they are sold out of their inventory. Um, I take that to mean that they're working on new, new things that they're going to restock, um, but their current inventory is still in the wild. I recently replaced a Cuban-inspired 151 bottle that was nearing empty, uh, if you have a current Lost Spirits rum that you like, it may behoove you to pick up an extra bottle and put that in storage uh, if you see it. So just a, just a side note there. Um, I'm actually going to start with my tasting notes on this rum. Uh, since I typically will taste the rum before researching it, it seems to make sense to actually format the show that way. Um, this rum itself, um, I have a, the bottle here and I also have a uh, small glass of it. It is bottled at 132 proof or 66% alcohol by volume. So this is definitely into overproof territory. This in their line was the second rum they produced after the Navy style rum. The Navy style rum comes in two proofs. Uh, this was the second style of rum that they did. The Navy was a distinct style. This is the Polynesian style. 
in terms of appearance, um, so before we even get to the rum, and this is a callback to the Cuban-inspired rum, I want to mention how good the label design is. Uh, these are done by Brian Davis, one of the uh, the, uh, the owner and the, the head head chemist, if you will, of Lost Spirits. Uh, the label has a lot of little details, uh, including a couple of prominent moai and a, uh, a tiki head on the side of the bottle. I, I'd, I'd like to actually see these uh, labels be posters someday. They are very well done. Um, and the bottle itself, just a straightforward bottle. It's nothing flashy. I, I wouldn't... I definitely wouldn't say that they're looking at uh, increasing their awareness via the bottling, but the, I do think the label design is really, really well done. Uh, the rum itself, let's get to the rum. The rum itself is an amber color uh, in the bottle as well as in the glass. Um, it looks a little bit like a light maple syrup, um, and swirling the rum in your glass produces a nice thin line at the top of the glass with very, very slow legs that work their way down the glass. Uh, aroma. This is a very aromatic rum. Without even getting my nose into the glass or the bottle, just by pouring it into the glass, the aroma started to fill the room, um, you know, around me, and I could I could pick up notes from this rum. So, I'm still trying to process what I'm smelling when I get into the glass itself. Um, I smell ripe fruit and less astringency that I'd expect from a high proof rum. Smelling from the bottle gives a suggestion of sugar, while from the glass, it's mostly focused into fruit. Uh, banana with a touch of maybe other tropical fruits, maybe even something a little bit like bread. Um, if I go in and smell this with my mouth closed uh, and breathe it in, remember the the way you want to actually smell spirits is you want to leave your mouth open to allow some of that aroma to go in through the uh, receptors that are in your mouth. Um, if you do that with your mouth closed, the astringency becomes much more pronounced, a little bit more like what you would expect from a overproof rum. Um, in terms of taste, um, let me taste a little here. There's a little bit of a sweetness on the lips, almost like a honey, and then the heat comes in. It has a, a very nice mouthfeel, uh, definitely a heavy-bodied rum. When I move it around in my mouth, some of the fruit flavors start to show themselves, but not really in a sweet way. So I don't want to, um, when I said honey, it's not that it's super sugary, or the fruit, it's not super sugary. Those are just the, the characteristics that I'm picking up. I also don't pick up any woodiness that I would expect from um, maybe an aged rum that spent some time in a barrel. Um, and then for fun, I added an ice cube to the glass, uh, something I've started experimenting a little bit more with just to note what changes occur in the spirit when dilution is introduced. Of course, when you mix a rum in a cocktail, you're going to introduce some amount of dilution. So it's a good experiment to see what changes when you add a little bit of that, even you know when you're just sipping it neat. So if you have some of this rum, uh, try this as well. Go ahead and grab a glass, pour in an you know, ounce and a half, two ounces, uh, and then add a small bit of ice. Once the ice starts to melt and cool the rum a little, um, I didn't notice a real dramatic change, but the general fruits notes that I had that I had settled on before became very focused into a pineapple flavor profile, which was I thought was pretty interesting. I know that in reading about this rum before, the recommendation from Brian was that uh, you want to add a few drops of water to it. I think in, in my uh, testing, the ice produced a similar effect. So um, yeah, adding ice definitely had a change on the rum and made it very, very much more focused on that pineapple flavor characteristic, which I thought was really, really interesting and, um, and not necessarily subtle. So this is one of the cool things about the rum is I can actually pick this up as opposed to this very, very, you know, small shades of differences that you get from, um, other people that are, that are doing really, uh, in-depth tastings where they can pick up things that are, that are very, very subtle. This, this is definitely not subtle. So I'd encourage you if, if you have a, a bottle of this rum, or if you go and pick one up, uh, give it a shot. It, you'll, you'll notice the change and it's very, very interesting. 
Uh, finish wise, it's it's likely what you'd expect from a higher proof rum. It'll warm you, you know, way down deep in the throat. There's some residual heat in the throat too, but if you treat it with respect, you won't get that overproof burn. You know, you're not going to gulp. You just want to sit this slowly. And then once I added the ice, the warmth was tempered a bit, and it enhanced this rum as a sipping rum. Uh, to sum up, um, in my view, this is a, a unique and exciting rum to mix with. Uh, also good as a sipper, but I, I really there, there's a lot of flavor combinations to try as well as a lot of pr- potential for subbing this in for some of your favorite cocktail recipes. So what I um, when I've done that with this rum, I've used it in cocktails that feature a flavor, a pineapple flavor profile like the blue, excuse me, the Bulu or the Trader Vic's Grog. Uh, and I think that really the rum really shines in that way. Um, I'm fine to sip this rum neat and I'll say please and thank you if somebody hands me a glass um, and ask for a single ice cube to go in it. But this is one of those spirits that inspires you to go and tinker with other, you know, other cocktail ingredients and and see what you can create with it. Um, going back to the Lost Spirits website, the description on the Lost Spirits site said that the rum is made from a uh, fermented grade A molasses with a lab-grown bacterial dunder, uh, meaning that they're replicating the role of dunder with a lab-produced bacteria. Um, some Jamaican rums use what's called a dunder as their yeast source when they're fermenting their molasses. Dunder is the liquid that's left over from a previous distillation that still contains yeast and some of the characteristics from that last batch. Um, You can go a little bit deeper into the Dunder pit, if you will, but we'll save that for a different show. Uh, Distillation, according to Lost Spirits, it's mentioned as being low rectification, so it's not getting distilled so much as to remove the character from the rum. Um, It's distilled in their distinctive pot still, the one uh, with the dragon's head on it, which I would love to go see in person, and I will make a field trip to see soon. Um, and the rum then rests in sherry seasoned new American oak barrels. Their intention was to create a rum with uh, what they would refer to as high fruity carbolic esters. So that would explain the aroma and the taste profile that I could pick up from the rum when I t- sampled it myself. Um, after that, I also checked into two other sites for their thoughts on this rum. Uh, first, a mountain of crushed ice, uh, uh, Helena's uh, fabulous rum focused blog, where she not only uh, reviews rums, but also uses them in several cocktails. So Anytime she has a new rum, she's going to try that in two or three cocktails, which is an incredible resource, and I encourage you to check it out. Um, I've linked to this uh, blog before, and there's a link in the show notes for that. Um, Also, a blog I've linked to once before, again, coincidentally, when I was talking about Lost Spirits, was Cocktail Wonk. Um, And I know that he's done uh, several in-person interviews with Brian Davis from Lost Spirits, and so his site has a lot of good information when it comes to Lost Spirits. Now, specifically, uh, Helena at A Mountain of Crushed Ice, she noted in her review slash article on the Lost Spirits Polynesian-inspired rum that it's produced using nitrogen-deprived fermentation. That's a way to trigger stressful response in the yeast, which yields to a higher production of esters, which are flavor compounds in the fermentation, which in turn leads to more flavors being completed from the acid. So it talks a little bit about one of the ways that Brian is able to coax different flavors out of the yeast that he's using. And then the article at Cocktail Wonk, as you might expect, goes very heavy into the science of how Brian is creating what he's creating. I encourage you to go, re- uh, excuse me, encourage you to go read the article. Again, the link is in the show notes, and it also reinforces what I've heard Brian say before. He starts with an idea of what profile he wants the rum to have, whether it's a navy rum, the Polynesian rum, or the Cuban overproof, and then he develops the science to get to that profile. Now. On our way to the destination of this episode's recipe, which is the Polynesian Cup, I want to first talk a little bit about Pims Number One and uh, a traditional Pims Cup. Uh, what is, what is Pims Number One and what is a Pims Cup? So I know um, I refer to Pims as a liqueur, 
but it's also referred to as a fruit cup. I think that's the, how they refer to it in England as far as I can tell from my research. Um, and that's by virtue of it being a summertime English drink that's lengthened by the addition of a soft drink like uh, lemonade, bitter lemonade, ginger beer, or something of that sort. The idea is that you're taking a smaller cocktail or a lower proof cocktail uh, and then making it longer for leisurely sipping with the addition of non-boozy elements. So Pims is one such base for this type of drink, and they're typically enhanced and garnished with fresh fruit or even lighter vegetables like cucumber slices. Now, Pims in particular has a whole line of these base liqueurs uh, with the number indicating which base spirit is being used. So in other words, Pim, Pims number one is a gin base. Now, unfortunately, Pims number four is no longer being made. That was the rum-based one, and I would like to have tried that. But nonetheless, uh, Pims number one is still on the market. And these uh, types of liqueurs are often uh, lower proof. So in this case, Pims number one is 25% uh, alcohol by volume, uh, 50 proof. Uh, this is another way of making a cocktail that can be sipped all afternoon without completely wrecking yourself. Uh, Pims itself dates back to 1823 and founder James Pym. Uh, spirits giant Diego bought the brand in 1997. You can read more about the history of the company, uh, the Pims company on Wikipedia. There's a link to that in the show notes. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of tasting here on the Pims. Um, a little, maybe, I guess, an abbreviated version of a rum tasting. So uh, in terms of appearance, the Pims number one has a dark brown to reddish color, not the bright red of a Campari, but a muddy red in the glass. Uh, aroma, it's lightly herbal and sweet. Maybe, uh, maybe it smells a little bit like tea. It's definitely not boozy, but because this is lower proof, I think that's to be expected. Uh, in terms of taste and finish, it is definitely herbal with a fairly bitter finish. Maybe you would even consider it medicinal. Um, excuse me, as I sip some. It is gin-based, which I would say is most evident with the first sip and some of the botanical notes. Uh, this is not something that I would typically sip neat, uh, but then I don't believe that's the actual intended purpose, so that's not a fair scale to judge it by. Um, the Pim's number one recipe, which is on the bottle, um, and you know, it's, you can find a Pim's cup recipe, you know, everywhere else. Just Google for it; you'll see hundreds of them. Uh, you can find it actually in, in uh, the previous episode. I talked about vintage spirits and forgotten cocktails. There's a Pim's recipe in that book as well. So I'd qualify the Pim's cup recipe as having no quote-unquote set recipe. But as a general guide, you have a tall glass, you have lots of ice, you have Pim's, you have bitter lemonade or ginger beer, and maybe some additional bitters. Um, and dealer's choice when it comes to fruit addition. The biggest variable is whether another spirit is added to boost the strength. Um, if you do that, just beware that can sneak up on you because I think the intention here is that you're making something that you're going to be able to sip while you're out in the summertime sun. Uh, so just be careful. If you're not the one making your Pim's cup, just be wary of what's going into it because you may not be getting what you're expecting. The recipe in this episode is the Polynesian cup. Now, Rory Snyder, the man behind the annual Tiki Caliente event in Palm Springs, offered me a chance to create a cocktail for the hotel bar for Tiki Caliente 7 this past May. Um, I wanted to create something refreshing for the desert heat, which actually this year was pretty manageable, unlike in other years past, and I wanted to riff on the Pim's number one cup uh, template. My inspiration in that direction came from Frederick Yarm of the cocktail blog uh, excuse me, of the blog Cocktail Virgin, actually Cocktail Virgin, Strike Through Virgin, Slut. Uh, there's a link to it in the show notes. It actually reads better when you look at it in print. Uh, his blog is an endless inspiration um, to me uh, in both original recipes and riffs on other recipes because he'll he'll post a recipe, he'll put in parentheses what uh, particular spirits he used for that recipe, 
and then add a couple of paragraphs explaining the inspiration or why he did what he did, why he chose what he chose. It's I find it very interesting. I, I don't have all the ingredient lists to make everything that he makes, but I save a bunch of them um, and I revisit them from time to time just to see what um, different ways to approach different cocktails. And he had a post in March of 2015 on something called the Kingston Cup, which was a Pimm's Cup variant, rum variant that featured Smith & Cross and a five-spice ginger syrup. So I made a note at the time of really liking this idea and wanted to try something similar in the future. So getting back to Tiki Caliente 7 and the Polynesian Cup recipe, I do know my audience at Tiki events, and so adding Lost Spirits Polynesian rum was kind of a no-brainer when it came to creating this cocktail. And it provided a real good rum right cross to the to the party in this glass, which is um, you know to add a little bit and punch it up a little bit, and also then add some subtle fruit notes as a further nod to the original Pim's Cup. Uh, the ginger beer, beer, excuse me, is still present because I want to lengthen that cocktail and provide more time for sipping. Um, you don't want to knock somebody out when they're trying to have fun out by the pool uh, in the summertime, especially if the you know you're out in 95 degree, 100 degree heat. Uh, but I do know that the people that are going to Tiki Caliente and other events are looking for, you know, something with a little bit of, little boost to it, a little rum. Um, I also made a note in the future to see how an agricole rum would work with PIMS. Um, that's for another time. I don't know if that'll work or not, but I'm something to something to work on for the future. So the Polynesian Cup recipe is one ounce of Lost Spirits Polynesian-inspired rum, one ounce of PIMS number one, one half ounce of simple syrup, one half ounce of fresh lime juice, and three ounces of ginger beer. Now, if you're using a stronger ginger beer like Fever Tree, I would knock that down to two ounces because otherwise you're going to really overwhelm the rest of the flavors with that strong ginger fear, uh, excuse me, ginger flavor that Fever Tree has. Um, shake all of those ingredients except for the ginger beer with ice cubes and a shaking tin, and then pour that unstrained into a tiki mug or a double old-fashioned glass. Stir in the ginger beer and then garnish with a slice of cucumber if desired. Um, there's a couple of photos of the cocktails in the show notes. One is from the recipe card in, uh, that I used at Tiki Caliente 7 and another with the alternate presentation without the tiki mug. I wouldn't be too fussy about the type of glassware in this drink. I know that the tall glass is probably typical. It's what's referenced on the PIMS bottle. But as mentioned before, I think PIMS is more a loose collection of ideas and not a strict recipe. So feel free to use whatever, whatever uh, glassware seems appropriate. Heck, the thing's called a PIMS cup. Uh, it seems like a cup would be a shorter, stouter glass, but your mileage may vary. Um, and this is one, you know, this is just but one recipe. If you visit a mountain of crushed ice and cocktail wonk, you'll see a couple other recipes for the Polynesian inspired rum. I would encourage you grab a cocktail book and try using it where you see either gold or dark rum, uh, excuse me, gold or dark Jamaican rum called for. Uh, this is a rum, the Polynesian inspired rum is definitely a rum that will reward experimentation. So Go out there, play with it, see where it works for you. Um, I, like I said before, I like it in rums that, or excuse me, in cocktails that feature pineapple as one of the flavor elements. I think, obviously, with the taste pro or with the flavor profile it has, it just lends itself to that really well. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. The show links will be up on the Five Minutes of Rum website. That's number five minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as Five Minutes of Rum. On iTunes, you can subscribe, you can rate the show, even leave a review. The show is also on Twitter as at Five Minutes of Rum. That's the at symbol, number five minutes of rum. Uh, you can send in comments, corrections, feedback, requests via the, either the Five Minutes of Rum website, excuse me, website, or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum. <laughs>